want to share uh, some amazing things with you today. We started a, a series three weeks ago entitled Kingdom Culture. And you guys had the best teacher, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in our family last week when Beth taught the second lesson on kingdom culture. Beth is a dynamic teacher, does an incredible job. Um, she's not nearly as inspiring as I am, but she's a one, I'm just kidding, dynamic teacher. And so we've enjoyed laying out this outline together, and I had fun kicking it off. And last week, I was in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. It was Devil's Lake, North Dakota last week, but by Wednesday, it was God's Lake, North Dakota. We kind of claimed it. Um, so last week, Emma and I were sitting in the, the living room at the district youth director's house, getting ready to kick off the camp that we did last week. And we joined you guys for the live stream for worship. It was fantastic and got to hear everything that Beth had to share. Did you enjoy it? She did, she did an amazing job. She did an amazing job. So I'm going to try to pick up where she left off. And let me just kind of start with this statement. I think sometimes we make things so much more difficult than we need to. And I think we do it in life, and I think we do it in the kingdom of heaven. When it comes to what it means to following Christ, I think that we can project it so much more difficultly than what it really is. And so I think that we need to kind of have an identity uh, change, or at least a different perspective about what identity is. Here's a thought I'm going to share with you to kind of start with today. Everything flows from identity, even if it is a false identity. Everything flows from identity. So I would prefer that we would know who we are, that we would know who we are in Christ Jesus, and we would live accordingly. But if we don't know who we are, and we base our beliefs, belief system about ourselves on a false identity, we will live it out that way. Let me just share one story with you from this past week. And, and I'll probably refer to a couple of things as the day goes along. But I was speaking a, um, a youth camp, a youth uh, district youth camp in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. They had 247 senior high students there, plus all the leaders. So there were over 300 people there. We had an incredible time. And I thought to myself, it's amazing that now that I'm 47, I'm balding, I am so not cool that I get the opportunity of going and speaking to this youth camp that God would open up this opportunity for me. But I know that he opens up opportunities because we know who we are and we know what we have to offer. And God showed up in amazing ways at this camp. I want to tell you one special story that took place on Thursday night. I'm getting ready to leave. We, we spoke uh, to the leaders every morning, and I spoke to the students every evening. And on Thursday night, the altar times had been beautiful. Students were worshiping. People were receiving healing. Signs and wonders of God were happening. It was supernatural stuff, not natural stuff. But it was time for me to slip away because I was the guest that came in and I didn't want any of the students looking to me like when he leaves, it leaves. Because how many of you know it's not about me, it's about the kingdom of heaven. So I kind of wanted to slip out and get to the back and, and let the district youth director take over the kind of the leading of everything at the altar. And as I tried to slip away, this young man goes, Pastor Brad, Pastor Brad, I'm about halfway back. Pastor Brad, can, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, sure, bud. And so we kind of just slid into a seat right there on the end of the aisle. And he had that feeling of brokenness. He had the feeling of poverty. And the sweater that he had on, it was probably the nicest thing that he had, but it didn't look so good. And, and things were just kind of rough, and you could feel it, right? And we sat down, and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? Can we talk? And I'm not going to share his name because it's just way too private. But I do want to tell you what happened. 
We sat down and he told me that he was worthless. He told me that he didn't have a value and that he didn't matter. And I said, man, why do you feel that way? What's going on? And he starts sobbing and he's like, I came to camp last year and I wanted it to be different when I went home, but everything was the same. Everything was the same. And he's so frustrated. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? What's going on, bud? And he said, my mom, she blames me for everything. And listen, I've heard students say that before, right? Some of you probably even said it at some point in your life. And I've heard students say that before, but this just had a different feel. And I'm like, man, what's home like? I said, are you home a lot? He goes, no, I try not to be home. He said, I try to just sleep at home. I try to stay away as much as I, as I can. I've tried to run away. And, and he, he said, you know, Pastor Brad, right before I came to camp, he said, I went over to talk to, to, to my aunt and my mom, and I walk up, and they're smoking meth right there in front of me, right there in front of me. He goes, it's just a mess. It's horrible. He said, my mom walks into the room, and she'll tell me I'm worthless, and she'll say every problem that we have in our family is because of you. And I'm just thinking, I've, I've got two daughters. And my, I just can't even process that. I adore my children. I, I can't even process putting that kind of curse over, over my children. But I said, hey, can you, can you picture that room where, she, where she, you know, she said these things or she, she's expressed this? He goes, yeah, it, it happens a lot. He goes, it's in my bedroom. I said, can you remember the first time that it happened? He said, yeah, Pastor Brad. He said, I was probably eight or so. He said, I was sitting on the end, at the end of my bed, and she came in, and she said, you're worthless, and this family's a mess, and it's because of you. And man, he's just, the tears, he's broken, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, God, how do I help this young man? What I wanted to do was pick him up and bring him home. And as I started telling Beth the story, when I got home, I could see she was like, uh-oh, where are we going here? Did you bring home a puppy? Did you bring home a lost puppy? I could, you know, I could just see it happening. And so I, I'm feeling all this, and I'm, and I'm thinking, Jesus, how do we send him home? How do you send somebody back into that environment? But I, I can't go there with him, but you're already there because God's word says that you love us, you never leave us, you never forsake us. Psalm 8 says, from the lips of children, you've ordained praise. So you tell me God's not with children when they're going through those moments. Well, what if their family doesn't go to church? He loves children. You tell me he's not with children. So I just, I began to pray and I'm like, Lord, give me some wisdom. And I said, hey, bud, I said, I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to picture that room. I want you to picture your mom walking and I want you to picture her saying those things that she's saying. Can you do it? He goes, yeah, without a problem. And I said, okay, let's just do this. Jesus, would you show my friend where you are in that room, in that moment? Now, remember, uh, God's in all time, all the time. We can't go back to when he was eight because he's 16 now. But that memory was very much alive. I'm like, Lord, can you show him? Jesus, can you show him where you were in that room? And all of a sudden, the tears go from sobbing and discouragement to tears of being overwhelmed. He goes, Pastor Brad, he's in the corner of my room. I go, you see Jesus? He goes, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in the corner of my room. I said, what's he doing? He's looking right at me, and he's, his eyes just say that he loves me. I go, what's your mom doing? He goes, my mom's saying what she's saying, and Jesus is looking at me. I said, what does that say to you? That everything that my mom says isn't true. I'm not worthless, it's not my fault, and I do matter. I mean, my goodness, folks, that was like, 
months of counseling and healing that took place in five minutes praying with a kid while all this other stuff was going on in the facility. All of it was going on. And we prayed and I blessed him and that weariness and the fear of going home, it left. You could feel it leave him. It just departed from him. And I blessed him and I said, buddy, can you close your eyes and picture that again right now? And he said, oh yeah. I said, Jesus has given you something that will never be taken away from you. And the next time somebody tells you you're worthless, I want you to see Jesus standing in the corner looking at you saying, you matter, I love you, and you're valuable. This young man's ran away. This young man didn't want to go home. This young man has felt worthless because that was his false identity. That's what was spoken over him. And if that's what's spoken over you, that's what you're going to walk out. But once we realize who we are in Christ Jesus, it changes everything. That young man in a moment was changed because I got to be honest, what does it even mean about what your mom thinks about you if Jesus says you're more than a conqueror? If society says you don't matter, but Jesus says you matter to me, everybody else says you're not valuable, and the Lord says I paid everything for you because you're the most valuable thing that I could find, who cares what they say? We need to know who we are. If you want to walk in a kingdom culture, you need to know who you are. You need to know whose you are. You need to know what your identity is. Were you ever told not to be ashamed of your name? Were you ever told to be proud of your heritage or proud of your family? I want you to know you've been given a name by the one that has a name above every name. And that's something that you can walk in the security of. Now, that was the end of the week. Let me tell you the beginning of the week. They asked me to come in for the orientation, so at 3.45 Monday afternoon, they had me meet with all the leaders. And I walk in, and they introduce me, and I step up to the front, and I said, okay, so here we are. All of you got the poster. Brad Riley is the speaker for camp this year. And you're thinking, I don't know who Brad Riley is. He's too old, and he doesn't have enough hair. Why did you schedule this guy? immediately there was an eruption of quite loud laughter, which tells me I was on, right? How many know that? If you get that kind of laughter, you know that you're on. And I said, I'm gonna ask you to do two things. Number one, I'm gonna ask you to trust the leaders that invited me to come. And I only, I only had three connections in North Dakota and they were the three people that invited me to come. So it really is, it's not about a majority, it's just who you know, right? I said, trust your leaders first of all, And secondly, no, I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm not here to promote my ministry. I'm here to see the kingdom of heaven released upon you and upon these students. That's my goal. At the end of the week, I don't even care if they remember my name, as long as they remember that they have the authority of heaven. I said, so it's going to be a fun week. Will you give me the first night? Tell the kids to be pumped and to be ready. Give me one night. The Holy Spirit will show up. We won't have to worry about the rest of the week. And they all said yes. And I said, then let me bless you. And I bless you in Jesus' name. And when I blessed them, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, somebody's shoulder needs to be healed. I thought, wow, in an orientation meeting at 345? And then I thought, and I don't know how you guys are, I thought, oh, oh, they're going to think he's showing off now. Because I've just told him to trust me, and now I'm going to start prophesying, right? I'm thinking, and I, so I had to go through that little thing in my head. And I'm like, you know what? The Lord just spoke to me that there's a shoulder here that needs to be healed. And I think it's the right shoulder that needs to be healed. He wants to heal you right now, give you full range of motion, and they all kind of start looking around. And I'm like, listen, I, I know there's not that many of us in here, but I know what I heard from the Lord. Who is it? 
And this gentleman from the back lifts his hand. I said, brother, if you'll just receive the word, you, you'll be healed right now. I said, lift it all the way up. And he lifted it up and he moved it around. He's like, are you kidding me? He goes, I am completely healed. Well, when that happened, the other gentleman that was right in front of me said, well, my shoulder's bothering me too. Now, isn't it funny how that'll happen? He said, I hurt mine two years ago in a, a snowboarding accident. I said, man, we just bless you to be healed. I said, go ahead and lift it up and be free. And he lifted it up. He got about halfway. He said, it's better. I said, but it's not completely healed. We prayed for another 30 seconds and it broke and that thing was completely healed. And it was pretty evident by the smile on his face. I said, it's going to be a good night. And they're like, it's going to be a good night. So we go upstairs to go into the student orientation. What I didn't know was there was a lady named Patricia. And Patricia was in the back left of this meeting room. And when that word was given and those guys were publicly grabbing it and receiving it, she quietly said, well, Lord, my shoulder's hurting too, and I'd love for it to be healed. And with none of us knowing and nobody laying a hand on her, guess what God did? He healed Patricia. So in one orientation meeting, we had three people from one word receive healing in their shoulders. Come on. God's good, folks. God's good. That's the kingdom of heaven culture. So let's talk about it. Romans 12, 2. Beth preached on this last week, so I'm just going to give a couple of summaries of some things that she said that really concerned me when I was watching the video stream. No. We're just going to bounce off of, of where she ended last week. God's word says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. The Greek word there is metamorpho. Metamorpho is where we get metamorphosis. All right? We need to have a metamorphosis. How do we have it? By the renewing of our mind. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Now, there have been many times I've been aggravated at the Apostle Paul for concluding this verse the way that he did. Because I've heard sermons, I'm going to talk to you this week about goodwill, and then next week about pleasing will, and then eventually about perfect will. I, I don't think that we were supposed to split this up into a theological doctrinal teaching. I really, Paul's writing, and he's like, if your mind's transformed, you're going to walk out the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. I, I just think that we've made it, once again, more complicated than it was supposed to be, okay? It's not, well, I've been in good will, and I'm trying to work to pleasing, and if I live there long enough, I'll eventually get to perfect. Uh, this isn't about attaboy getting deeper. This is just about walking out the will of God, and how do we do it? By the renewing of our mind. Well, how do we do that? Well, that's a whole nother thought. But one of the things that we need to do is we need to begin to put in the right input rather than the stuff that we typically put in there. What does God say about me? What does God's word say about me? Think about this young man that I prayed with on Thursday night. What did God say about him? I love you and you're valuable. What had he been inputted into him? You're worthless and you're the problems in our family. So of course he had been in trouble. Of course, he'd made tons of wrong decisions. If you believe you're worthless and that you're the problem for the whole family, you're going to walk it out. But if we believe what God says about us, we might actually try to walk that out. There are times that I tell my daughters, you're princesses. You're women of God. You're women of wisdom. You're women with anointing. You're women of favor. I speak that over their life. Why? Is it because I'm trying to fake it till we make it? No, I really believe it. You tell any dad that his daughter's not his princess. Go ahead. See where that gets you. Okay? They're my princesses. How do you know that they're going to walk in wisdom? Well, we named Sophia her name because it means holy wisdom. 
Because we had an inclination in our heart that she was going to need us to speak that over her entire life. Wise choices, wise choices, wise choices. We're calling it out. God didn't make them to collapse, to be broken, and to not do things for the kingdom. He made them to be women that are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. To transform from, from darkness to light, from defeat to victory, to give them a story that changes the lives of others, to see the visions of God and to unleash them in the lives of people. That's what he made them for. So I want them partnering with that in their thinking. I want them renewing their mind. I want to do the same thing in my own life. I want to renew my mind. I can do it through good Christian connection, fellowship, the word, all sorts of ways. I want to walk this stuff out. Now, with that said, when we talk about renewing our mind, let's start getting into some kingdom stuff a little bit. When we talk about kingdom, I wonder if we really are putting our minds there of what it means to be a kingdom person. Look in Matthew 4, 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And here's, here's the message of Jesus. We've made his message so complicated. Here's his first sermon. You ready? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, when I think about repentance, I think about what I used to do growing up in the assembly of God. How many of you have sinned? How many of you have even had sins you don't even know you've had? How many of you are probably sinning right now and you don't know it? I mean, it was sin, sin, sin. And when you came to the altar, you had to repent. Improper repentance means you have to cry a lot and loudly and mournfully. I can't remember a time that we didn't go to the altar that everybody wasn't in tears. Some of them just to begin, they begin to stab their, themselves, pinch their skin. Because if you're going to have a good prayer time, you're going to weep because you are a horrible person and you don't even have the right to be there, right? I am a worm God. Squish me. I... I that's not what Jesus was doing here. The word for repent in the original Greek, you ready for this? It'll blow your mind. Change one's mindset. Change one's direction. You're going to love this one. Change one's mind for the better. It's that simple. Change one's mind for the better. Jesus shows up after his temptation in the wilderness and overcoming, and after that moment, he comes out, and his first message is, hey, change your mindset, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Really? Is it that simple? Now, when we talk about kingdom, what's the Greek word for kingdom? Come on, faith chapel. Basileia. What does basileia mean? Does it mean a castle? No, it means authority, all right? My water bottle is now my scepter. I lift it up. When a king lifts up his scepter, there is authority in that. Jesus said, change your direction. I've got authority of heaven right here. You've got problems on earth, I've got heavenly solutions. You've got earthly brokenness, I've got heavenly deliverance. So repent. It wasn't, hey, you foul sinner, deserving of hell. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, hey, look this way, because the authority of heaven has come near. And how many of you would agree that when Jesus came on the scene, the authority of heaven had come near? Because he came from heaven full of grace and truth. Look in verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What did he do? Healed every disease and sickness among the people. 
Here, it's the exact same thing. Galilee wasn't a city. Galilee was a region. So he went to the different communities within that region, and he did the same thing. He said, here's good news. The authority of heaven is near. And not only did he proclaim it, but then he began to demonstrate it. How did he do so? By healing every disease and every sickness. Now, that's amazing to me. Jesus shows up. I've got great news for you. The authority of the kingdom is available. And not only did he, did he proclaim it, but he demonstrated it. Can I tell you one of my favorite stories from this past week in North Dakota with the Norwegians, you know? Can I tell you one of my favorite stories, you know, just north of Fargo, all right? This gentleman received a vision from the Lord. Now, he came as a sponsor to just help for that week. He wasn't the youth pastor. He's a sponsor in the church. He's actually a tire delivery guy. Now, in North Dakota, he's delivering these huge tractor tires that are bigger than all of us put. I mean, so he's a tire. That's his. I asked him when he was going to retire, and he didn't get it, and so I just had to move on. But <laughs> Brad was at worship. His name's Bradley, by the way. And you got to love people with that name, Brad or Bradley. You just got to love them. And he's up worshiping, and he had one of the most amazing experiences of his life. He wasn't, all he, you know what he was doing? The same thing that you do during worship, trying to focus on Jesus and just giving him your love. I mean, isn't that what you're trying to do? Sometimes you're thinking, it's too hot in here, and that, lady's, that perfume is way too much for me, but I love you, Lord, and why did I wear this tie? It's binding me, and I love, right? I mean, we're trying to focus. He's up front, he's trying to worship, and in his worship, the Lord gave him a vision. And he shared the vision with one of the other leaders who shared it with me, and I had him come and share it with the entire, the entire group. In his vision, he saw Jesus on a cross, and while Jesus was on the cross, he saw blood drop from Christ. And when it dropped, it landed on the word epilepsy. And when it hit the word epilepsy, it disappeared. And then he saw another drop of blood come down, and it landed on the word cancer. And when it hit the, hit the word cancer, it disappeared. And then he saw one more drop of blood fall down. But guess what it landed on this time? Brad saw it land on his own back. What we didn't know was that two years earlier, back, uh, in, a, in a delivery, while he was moving some things, the load shifted right when he was turning, and he wrenched his back, and it had never healed properly. Missed a lot of work. They had done some things, but it was not back to normal. And he sees the blood of Jesus land on his own back, and when he saw it in a vision, he felt warmness go down his back, and he moved, he was instantly healed, no pain at all. No pain at all. Nobody laid hands on him. Nobody prayed for him. It was him seeing what the Lord was doing for him. So he shared it with the, the entire group. The students went crazy. And then I said, you know what? We've got a word from the Lord. If you have a family member or yourself that has epilepsy, I want you to stand. If you have a family member or yourself that has cancer, I want you to stand. Or if you're having back problems or a family member, I want you to stand. And we're going to release what God showed us because if he did it for Brad, he'll also do it for us. And I just want to know, do any of you have a family member that has epilepsy? Do any of you have a family member that has cancer or a dear friend that has cancer? Anybody need healing in their lower back? Why not? Would you stand with me? I mean, I, I, 
Let's not, let's not be a religious group. Let's just be a real group. If you need healing or you know someone that needs healing of epilepsy, cancer, or a back issue, let's stand up and let's take it because the Lord showed it to us. He showed it to us. Hey, live stream, do the same thing. If this word's for you, take it. There's no distance in the spirit, so take it. All right, receive it wherever you are. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you have shown us through the spirit that you're our healer. If you were the healer, you are the healer because your word says that you're always who you are. And in Jesus' name, we annihilate cancer. In Jesus' name, we annihilate epilepsy. In Jesus' name, we annihilate back problems. And we release the healing of the Lord to your sons and daughters, not because of who we are, but because of what you've done. In Jesus' name, those with epilepsy, be healed. Those with cancer, be healed. Those with back problems, be healed. We receive the healing of the Lord. We receive it from you, God. It's good news. It's good news, Lord. We thank you. Can you just claim that by faith? Say, in Jesus' name, it's mine. I receive it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. This is good news, isn't it? If you have cancer and the cancer destroyer walks into the room, is that good news? If you have epilepsy and the epilepsy destroyer walks in the room, is that good news? If you're separated from God and the great reconciler walks in the room, is that good news? You see, we've made the gospel much less than what it really is. It's not just repent so that you can go to heaven. The gospel, the good news is the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven is available. Pastor Brad, why don't we see it more? Because we don't get it more. I was never taught this my entire life. I was always taught the gospel, but they always left off the words of the kingdom. We didn't talk about the authority of the Lord. Think about it. The message of the authority, power, ability of heaven being available on earth, that's good news. That's really good news. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. After Jesus has done all these things, look what it says. News about him spread all over Syria. I bet it did. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed. What did Jesus do? He healed them. There's some things that stand out to me that when the kingdom of heaven really begins to operate on earth, the news, the news spreads. You know what's happening in North Dakota right now? There are churches that got lit up this morning when a bunch of students went walking in saying, we've seen the signs and wonders of God. There's a young man, his name's Zach. Zach showed up Monday in a wheelchair. He had broke his femur, his right femur, and had surgery within two weeks of camp with a new steel rod and screws in that femur to hold it together. The doctor said, I know that you're wanting to go to camp. I'm going to let you go to camp. We're going to start rehab as soon as you get back. You're not going to be walking normally for two months. Tell that to a group of kids that have watched Jesus walk into the room. So they prayed for him the first night, and he did something that he hadn't done. 
He stood up and they moved back and he, nobody else held him and he took one step on Monday night. Well, on Tuesday night, he took two or three steps. On Wednesday night, he was walking back and forth across the front at the altar. On Thursday night, he was circling the entire sanctuary with a bunch of kids walking behind him, clapping and celebrating what God had done. Em and I had to be at the airport at four o'clock in the morning on Friday. God help us all. After a solid two-hour nap, because the service went for about six and a half hours that night. So after a solid two-hour nap, we were at the airport, we flew home, and I just found out yesterday something that I didn't know, that when they had their final farewell service on Friday, Zach was on the platform dancing. Come on. The news will spread. I, you know what? I just, there's just no power in the kingdom of heaven. And why are churches struggling? And our community's just in such die. I'm telling you what, if we start walking out what God's given us, don't even worry about the gates of hell. They won't prevail against the church. Well, Pastor Brad, this is great, but this is Jesus. Now that's true. You got me there. So what does Matthew 5.3 say? Because Jesus said it, and he obviously wasn't saying it about himself, because we've just acknowledged that he wasn't poor in spirit. But in Matthew 5, 3, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Once again, I grew up thinking, if I recognize that I don't have anything on my own to get righteousness, that if I'll acknowledge I need forgiveness, one of these days I'll go to heaven. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge that you're broke, I looked up the word poor in the Greek to see if it was any different. You know how it's translated? Few things, reduced to beggary, destitute of wealth and influence, lowly, powerless, and helpless. This same Greek word, poor, there are times that when you're reading your Bible, you don't realize it's the same word because you read the word that you're lowly or he was powerless, or he couldn't help himself. It's the same Greek word. I mean, we're talking about a spirit that's broke. I mean, you're asking me for help? I got nothing to offer. I'm destined. I need somebody to help me. There's the point. If you'll realize you've got nothing to give and say, I need somebody to help me, then God's promise to you, then yours is the authority of heaven. I'm tired of people walking thinking that they have authority, that they've healed the sick, that they've raised the dead, and everybody needs to send a big check to their ministry. How about some people of God that'll say, I had nothing to give until he gave himself to me, and what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what we need. I prayed for some blind eyes this week, and do I have some stories? Not one of them received complete healing. I've told you before, when you're praying for the blind, take the pressure off. If they can't see you and it doesn't go well, what are they going to do about it? <laughs> right? Eyes open. Did it work? Nope. All right. See ya. Well, at least I can. And you move on. I know it's horrible. This young man came forward. He said, Pastor Brad, I can't see out of my right eye. And we prayed. And I said, how is it? He said, it's the same. And we prayed, and I said, how is it? He said, it's the same, and we prayed. And we did that on Monday night. And I said, keep praying. Thursday night, he came to me again. He said, can we pray again? I said, yes, we can, and we prayed, and we prayed. The third time we prayed, he said, 
I see something blurry. You know what I do in that moment? I celebrate. Because if you couldn't see something blurry, and all of a sudden you can see something blurry because you're asking in Jesus' name, you celebrate what he's done. And I'm like, Lord, thank you for blurry vision. I pray that you'll complete, and we prayed again, and we prayed two or three more times. It did not get any better, but he knew that it had taken a step forward. And I'm like, bud, you've got to keep speaking this out. God's doing a miracle for you. Well, Pastor Brad, how come it didn't happen instantly? I'm not as worried about the how comes as much as I am that I just need to keep releasing faith to see the miracles of God take place. It's beautiful. Here's a thought. Those who know they can't do it can only rely on God's authority to do it. So, yeah, Jesus did it, but he also said, blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for they can have it. And then we see the disciples operating in it. Look in Matthew 10, verses 7 to 8. As you go, proclaim this message. What is the message they proclaimed? Here it is. Quote, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Have we heard that before today? Wasn't that the first thing that Jesus communicated? The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he says to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. This is pretty remarkable to me. Jesus said, you need to communicate the exact same message that I'm communicating. And by the way, if this was only because Jesus was near, they were in trouble because Jesus actually sent them away from him. He said, I'm staying back here for a while. I need a break. Brother needs some water. You guys go to some different towns and do the exact same thing that I've been doing. Well, how can we do it? Because you've received it. And because you've received it, you can give it away. When they came back, guys, they were almost stunned, which shows me they had a hard time believing what he had said because they came back and they started giving their reports. Lord, even the demons listened to us in your name. People were healed in your name. He's like, guys, guys, don't even worry about the authority of heaven. That's no big deal. Just keep loving the Father. In other words, he so expected them to walk in it that he was a little surprised, or maybe Jesus isn't surprised about anything, but he acknowledged they shouldn't be surprised that they had. Freely you've received it, freely give it. I remember I was working as a valet. This has been a long time ago, man. I'm going way back, North Central University, okay? I was a valet for Saks Fifth Avenue. And a bunch of us guys, it was a slow night, nobody was there, and we got playing football in the parking lot. And sure enough, one of those guys, his name was Kim. Have you ever heard of the boy named Sue? This was the boy named Kim. Somebody spun to run, and his, his height was such that when they spun, the elbow just hit him right in the nose. And how many know there's nothing that can bleed like a good nose, good nose bleed? And that thing, he fell down on the ramp, about knocked him out. Blood is just pouring out of his nose. And all of a sudden, now all of us are worried that we're going to get in trouble for doing something we shouldn't have been doing. Isn't that the way that it works? While you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, it's no big deal. But then when the consequences happen, it's, oh, we shouldn't have been playing football. But what do you do? You all walk away and go, well, Kim did it, you know, and just leave him there in a pile of blood. I was a senior in college. To be quite honest with you, I was the one that spun and hit him in the nose. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to fess up, I might as well tell you the whole thing. It was me, and uh, it's what he gets for trying to reach to the wrong side. I scored, but that's not really the point right now. I spun, and I was feeling a little pressure, knowing I was the guy that clocked him. Even though he stuck his nose there, I still felt a little pressure about that. And I thought, Lord, we just need to see him healed. Now, remember, I am the only Christian of this group of guys that work together. 
The only Christian there, and you're thinking, well, what kind of an example were you? Well, you're getting ready to find out, so back off, okay? <laughs> back off. I said, guys, we just need to pray for him because we're all going to get in trouble, and he needs healing. Let's just pray. And I laid my hands on him, and I said, in Jesus' name, I command this blood to stop, and it stopped instantly. And, and then I was like, thank God, thank God, thank God. That's on a Friday or Saturday. I can't remember. It's been too long. I come to work on Monday. I walk in. When I walk in, the guys are like. I go back. They're like, hey, you want the first car? We were always fighting for cars because that was the tips. They're like, you want the first car? I'm like, sure, I'll take the first car. I get back. They're like, you want the next one? I'm like, what's going on? They're like, dude, how are you a healer? It went through the whole crew. I'm like, I have power in this hand. It's amazing, right? It's a big hand, no doubt about it. The authority of the kingdom. Listen, I was a senior in school, struggling to find my identity in Christ, doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing as a valet, playing football on company time, bust a guy's nose, but the authority of heaven was released and he received healing. How can that happen? Because we have it to give. We have it to give. I love that they brought the demonized to him. I think it's pretty amazing that a culture actually knew what a demon was. We don't anymore. We hold him up as some sort of superhero or idol. Our kids want to be like him and they have billions of followers on YouTube. They actually used to deliver demonized people, set them free. Tell you what would be really great for our, for our prison system is have a bunch of people set free from demonic strongholds and get the thing emptied out. That would be fantastic. If we could see some deliverance, see a little bit of heaven on earth, that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? All right, let's move on. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Last verses for the day. Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the what? Good news of the kingdom, the basileia, the authority of God, healing every disease and sickness. Now, this is kind of amazing to me. When he saw the crowds, who were the crowds? obviously the people that are coming to him because he's healing the demonized and the sick. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without, like sheep without a shepherd. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. What was he referring to when he talked about harvest? Because as a matter of fact, their response was, well, Lord, harvest isn't for four more months. Have you ever just, did you think that the disciples were super amazing or do you realize that they didn't get it either? Jesus says to them, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here's my prayer request. Let's ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So here's the story. Jesus is healing everyone, delivering everyone, and doing things that nobody has seen before. And because of that, everybody that has a need is showing up. The broken, the hurting, the harassed, the helpless, here they are. And Jesus is continuing to give it away and give it away. And he takes this moment and he makes it a teaching moment. How many do that with your children? You grab some moments and you're like, let's make it a teaching moment. Emma's going to be 16 in October. I had a teaching moment yesterday. I put my arm around her. I said, hey, I just want to talk to you about something. She's like, what did I do? I'm like, wow, I'm so glad you fear me. No, I didn't say that. I put my arm around her and I said, sweetheart, in North Dakota, you prophesied. You prayed with people. The Lord would show you visions, and you would speak what you were seeing. I saw her operating in the gifts of her mom. 
Beth sees visions. Beth gets word pictures when she's praying for people. It blows my mind. God doesn't do that with me most of the time. She'll get word pictures and she'll just say, I'm seeing this. And then people are like, oh my goodness, how did you know? And I watched Emma do it. And I watched my, my 15 and a half year old come up and prophesy to the entire camp. It was amazing. And I said, don't take the mission's hat off because we're home. Because it's really easy to put a mission's hat on for a week of missions. But how about living the mission? If we had some more people among us that said, I'm going to live the mission every day, we could change our community. It really wouldn't take all that long. But here's the problem. Jesus sees them as harassed and helpless. You know what we see them, see them as? Perverts. Or angry people. Or a different color than me. Or completely broken and completely poor and jealous and a fit of rage and a porn addict. And, and we've got all these labels for people. You know what Jesus says they are? They're harvest. They're harvest. A good farmer knows when the harvest is ready, it's mature, it is time to bring that thing in. And Jesus is saying to us, don't you understand the harvest is ready? There are plenty of people out there that are harassed and helpless, and that's who I want you to bring in. Let me just throw this one out there for the fun of it. I use this at camp, so I'll use it here today. Who is ISIS anyway? Are they our enemy? Kill them, bomb them, send them to hell? Are they a group of people that are so lost, so deceived, so bound that they need the authority of heaven released to their lives? You know why? I think one of the reasons I hear so many stories about Muslims having visions from heaven. I'm sure you guys have heard it. We are connected to so many ministries that we hear the stories of angels appearing to Muslims in the Middle East. Muslims having dreams about Christ and surrendering their lives to Jesus. And, and groups growing of more and more of them discovering Jesus. You know why Jesus is showing up there so much? Because we're not. Because we hate them. I mean, how can you love somebody that does that? I know you're not going to amen me, but how can you? How can you love people that chop people's heads off? How can you love people that, that give a, a one-year-old daughter over to be married? How can, and, and then somebody takes advantage of an infant? They pay more money to get them younger. How can you love somebody like that? And I, and I look at that and I go... It's exactly what happens to a world where Jesus is kept out. Because when Jesus is kept out, we don't abuse, when Jesus is brought in, we don't abuse the children. We don't abuse the women. We don't destroy one another. We find the discovery of life and light and hope and shalom. And with Jesus, everything changes. I'll tell you who ISIS is. They're people that desperately need Christ. And even as I'm saying this, I'll let you know, it stirs up everything in me when I see stuff that happens and I think, not on our soil. Not on our soil. Can I be honest with you that I am this guy that loves Jesus with all my heart, but I don't want my children to blow up? And that politically, I think the best way to protect our people is to keep them out. Can I, can I be that open with you without making you too mad at me? And at the same time, there's this battle in my heart going... Who's going to win them to Jesus? I'll close with this. 
When I talk about this, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jonah. I grew up my whole life thinking Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid of them. They were ruthless. The Ninevites were known for doing horrible things. How many know that about them? How many watched the Veggie Tales of Jonah? Or, yeah, yes. How many of you have read it? Four. How many of you have watched Veggie Tales? Yeah, thank you, God, for good cartoons. We appreciate it, Lord. Remember what they would, what did the Ninevites use to slap each other around with? Do you remember? Fish. Somebody said fishes. Are you from Louisiana? I mean, where was that from? Okay, fish. All right, fish. Now, I think that's kind of interesting, and you might not, but just to share it with you, I kind of wondered if they based it on historically the Ninevites worshiped the fish god. Do you know that? They really worshiped the fish god. So I even kind of wondered in Veggie Tales if they were kind of having fun with that, which I also think it's kind of fun because how did Jonah actually get to Nineveh? By a fish. Because he rebelled. Fish swallows. He said, God prepared a fish. Fish swallows him, pukes him on the shoreline. Now, how do you know if Nineveh is there and people see this man erped up out of a fish, they're going to listen to him? I'm telling you, if you've wondered, how did he have the freedom to walk through Nineveh? It's because a fish puked him on the beach. And it totally prepared their heart to hear what their God had to say. And when this prophet came out of the fish, he said, you better repent and turn from your wicked ways or this city's going to be destroyed. And what did the Ninevites do? They were the worst people of the day. They did things that I won't even mention from the platform. They were the worst people of the day. You know what happened in Nineveh? The king put on sackcloth and he said, we've got to repent, maybe God will be merciful. And the entire city repented. They didn't eat, they didn't drink, they fasted. God, forgive us. And the end of the story, Jonah's sitting on the hillside. And Jonah is mad. And I thought, well, he's mad because that, that little plant that grew up to protect him from the sun died. That's not why he was mad. You know what he said? These are his words. He says this to God. Isn't this what I said to you when I was still in Israel? I knew that you would forgive them if they repented. Why was Jonah mad? Because he wanted them to die. He wanted them to die. And I think we all go through that internally. If you ever had an uncle touch you inappropriately... and it changed the course of your life, and it scarred you, there's probably a portion of you that thought, I, they deserve to go to hell. Listen, the reality is we all deserve to go to hell. We were born separated from him, but by the blood of Jesus, we're brought near to him. And the problem is that everybody is separated and everybody needs to know that he loves them and that he'll forgive them and we can have a new identity. So that's why Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. I'm going to give you a Greek word. Are you ready for this one? It's a great one. Ekbalo. You ever heard that one? Ekbalo. What does ekbalo mean? Well, it's translated as send. But in the original Greek, it means to drive out, to cast out, to compel someone, to banish them. Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to banish his people out. Ask the Lord of the harvest to drive his people out. Why would he do that? Because we so don't want to go to the harvest field. 
Why would I want to tell my neighbor about Jesus when her dog keeps crapping in my yard? Seriously, it's ridiculous. You've got a fence in the back. You, you installed a fence and you still don't use it. And I go out to throw the ball around with my nephew and step right in it. She deserves hell. I'm, honestly, she does, now that I think about it, so I shouldn't have even used that example. Does she deserve to go to hell because I stepped on her dog's poo? But I'm going there. We make those decisions all the time. Every one of us do. We get upset about this or that, and we make a decision that that person isn't worth the gospel. No wonder Jesus said, pray that my people will be cast out to the harvest field because it's not easy. Because we've already judged that they don't even deserve to be here, and I'm just going to ask, how many of you deserve to be here? We've turned them into beautiful songs. I'll close with a special. Did you ever, how many of you grew up in church? How many of you ever heard this one? Lord of the harvest, place a fire in me. How many of you heard that one? A servant you need now, a servant I will be. Give me the eyes of your spirit, a heart of compassion to know. Oh, wherever you may lead me, Lord of the harvest, I'll go. Liar. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here till Thursday. Thank you. We write songs about it. There's Christian ministries that make a fortune selling evangelism tools about it. When the reality is, it's pretty simple. Step outside the wall with the authority of heaven and set somebody free. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to our mission trip in Ireland next year, aren't you? It's going to be a blast. And we're all going to save our money, and we're going to pay way too much for airline travel, and we're going to have, and it's going to, it's going to, be, it's going to cost a lot of money to do missions in Ireland. It doesn't cost you much to do it here. It's just obedience. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will ekbalo, that we will go forth with the message of the kingdom of heaven. If you did it and told the disciples that they could do it, if you said the poor in spirit can have it, if you had them pray that more people would walk in it, then I ask that here at Faith Chapel will be some of those people. Will be some of those people that walk this out because there are so many people that need you. We want to do it, Lord. Amen.